Hello and welcome to The Raw, your Sunderland Echo SAFC podcast. I'm Mark Donnelly and I'm joined once again by our chief football writer, Phil Smith. Phil, it's been a, a long few months, about six months since Sunderland's last game, but finally we've got some competitive football on the horizon. Yes, it is. Um, it's quite exciting and also very strange for kind of for like this Carabao Cup game. It doesn't quite have that same sort of um, tension or kind of you know that butterflies in the stomach. Partially, of course, with there being no fans back, we all know it's going to be a you know it's it's not going to be the same. And also the fact that we have this kind of strange cup game. So yeah, I suppose like everything else, it's sort of not quite not quite normal, is it? it but um, it's certainly nice to have some some competitive football to kind of have back in our lives and um, I'm sure everyone's the same and kind of looking forward to having stuff to whinge about occasionally stuff to celebrate um, yeah it's a nice feeling there's only really one place we can start today signing number five through the door at the stadium of light Arbanit Zamajli I've probably butchered that pronunciation but that's as good as we'll get has signed a two-year deal after Sunderland agreed a significant compensation package with his former Swiss club Zamax Phil, it's quite tough to judge because we only saw him for 45 minutes against Gateshead in a half where Sunderland were pretty much in control and he wasn't really troubled defensively. But from what we did see, he looked a decent pickup and Sunderland have obviously seen enough behind the scenes to convince them that he's the man to bring in the strength in that back three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, as you say, it's, I tried not to make any real judgments from the Gateshead game because you know, Sunderland probably had 70-80% possession in that second half. Uh, I think I can only remember Lee Birch having one save to make. So he kind of was able to coast through that. I mean, the very obvious thing was that he, he brings a lot of height to the team. Um, he's six foot three. He obviously hit the post from a corner. So he's got that kind of aerial threat and that aerial presence. He did he did look a good player. It's just a it's just an interesting sign, and it's obviously a significantly different profile to anything that Sunderland have done since they came into League One. It's the first time they've um, recruited from league abroad um, since they came down to League One by my reckoning I think it's the first time they've done it since Robin Reuter came um, Ozturk came from abroad but he'd played in Scotland before hadn't he? Yeah, it was kind of a, yeah, that was kind of a, a false one wasn't it yeah um, so yeah it's just a kind of it's, a, it's an interesting signing um, maybe shows that you know um, minds have been opened a little bit the summer horizons have been broadened a little bit um, and it does kind of hint at things change and we've talked a lot on this podcast about sort of the departures of Richard Hill and Tony Court and then the way things are moving um I know this has been portrayed a little bit as some kind of money ball kind of sign I have to say I don't think Sunderland's scouting is quite there yet um and even you know there's a piece on the Echo website at the moment which looks into the background of this deal and you know Phil Parkinson very very candid in talking about he's been quite pleased with the business they've done this summer especially because of all the hurdles that have been in place but very, very clear that recruitment department has a long way to go to get where it needs to be. And, and I do think that kind of data and analytics is going to be a huge part of that. We know it's something that David Jones is very, very keen on. We know it's something Jim Rodwell's keen on. So I think it does mark maybe a little bit of a shift in policy. Um, I think, like I say, I think there's a long way to go yet. Um, you know, I, it's certainly not kind of Moneyball 2.0 it's something just yet, but it, it does show the way that things are changing. Um Obviously, it's a it's a six figure compensation fee they've had to pay with them being twenty two, and it's quite nice to see them doing that, thinking a little bit, thinking a little bit outside the box, bringing someone in young, um, who's played at a good standard, um, in Switzerland. So, it it is an interesting sign, and you you know as as we've said, we don't want to start. 
inspired piece of business is because it's too early to tell. And, and the big thing as well is there will be a period of adaptation um, that, you know, that he's not going to come in, I don't think, and, and suddenly you say Flanagan straight away. It'll take a little bit of time, but it is interesting. And you, it's one that you hope is successful because if it does work out as you'd hope, and it's good that he signed a two-year deal as well, it's not a very, very short-term deal. Um, so it's one that you hope works out because it might just kind of, you know, make that shift that we've been talking about and something something a little bit smarter and um, a little bit more efficient. It might make it a little bit easier if you, you know when you get some early successes from it. It's an interesting one you talk about that kind of mold of signing because it probably is the type of signing that a lot of a lot of people have, have been calling for Sunderland to make over the last couple of years. Someone who comes in with with a little bit of resale value and that maybe is now where Sunderland find themselves and that they've got to be looking for those types of players moving forward. Yeah, I think. You know, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I, I mentioned there before about this not exactly being money ball and you only have to look at the rest of Sunderland's business to see that they're, they're not going down that route solely in a way that, say, Brentford would. You know, it may well be that Daniel Graham's through the door next week and it just goes to show. And it's something David Jones actually spoke about, isn't it, earlier this summer. He talked about the balance very much not hiding away from the fact that the goal is to get over the line and get promoted this summer and they will do short-term deals if it helps. But also about trying to this idea of creating value. I think that's the big kind of buzz phrase around the place this summer, creating value. Part of that is in your young players. Denver Hume's a good example of that. And we've spoken a little bit on this podcast before about that kind of position and, and recruiting another player in that position and kind of this feeling that, you know, it's it's important to protect Denver. Um that's part of the same thing, creating value in your team, Dan Neal, Jeff Diamond, trying to get them involved. Um, so yeah, it, it is an interesting one. It's it's still, um, as I said, I think it's something that we shouldn't lose focus on. There is a huge amount to be done in that recruitment department, um, and and you know certainly I don't think this marks a enormous fundamental shift in what Sunderland does, but it just goes to show that there are some new ideas and some thoughts about some new way of doing things, kind of bouncing around, and that can only be a good thing. It is as you know as as you said, it's in in the eyes of many and certainly my own as well. It, it's long overdue. Um, so it'll be really interesting really interesting to see how it goes, to be fair. So that's five through the door. Phil Parkinson's been quite open in the fact he wants two more, as you alluded to there. Danny Graham is one of the strikers, he said, is under consideration. He was hopeful for some movement on that front next week. And then obviously a left-sided defender to, to challenge Denver Hume. Um, once those two players come in, would you be kind of happy with where that Sunderland squad's at, given the the kind of natural constraints that now that the club are working under. Yeah, I think I think you'd have you'd certainly be happy in terms of you would then have reasonable injury cover. Still a little bit concerned at centre half, um, purely just because we haven't seen a huge amount of Morgan Feeney and Brandon Taylor. And um, if you're playing with that three at the back, um, then I think at the moment you still feel it could be one or two injuries away from from kind of having a drop off in quality, but I would say that with a caveat that we have not really seen enough of Morgan Feeney to make a judgment yet. But that's just one department where even with Arbonnet coming in today, I still have a little bit of a reservation. And then in terms of in terms of the quality, it has been a very difficult window in it and it's difficult to know how much something they've improved. You've got to put it in the context of everything that's that's going on. And I don't see other clubs doing a huge amount of kind of business where you go, wow, um, they're going to be running away with it this year. I think, you know, you kind of you look at the way the season ended last year and you think, well, 
I don't see them having a run again like they had when Parkinson first came in when they went two, three months of poor results. It'll be tough for them to have another run after Christmas where they kind of shocked a lot of teams because everything clicked into place. So you're kind of looking at it thinking, well, there's there's reason to think they'll be there or thereabouts. If you look at their average points per game, as I mentioned under Parkinson last year, it was 1.7, 1.8, something around there. Um, that's fairly consistent with Parkinson's League One record over his career. And it's a fairly similar team to the one that finished last year. So you're kind of looking at it going, I don't think there's much reason to think that they're not going to be there or thereabouts. The question is, have they done enough to take the next step and be real serious automatic promotion contenders? Well, I think it's a little early to kind of tell on that. Um, you know, I think Aidan O'Brien could be a good signing from what we've seen, but can he push through? Um, you know, as again with Arbonnet, like we say, we haven't really seen enough. You've lost, lost John McLaughlin in goal, which Lee Burge is a capable goalkeeper, but that's still a loss. I kind of think the big thing is is the striker. Um, I do think that's the one department where you just wonder. I think the thing that could turn Sunderland from that, what we talked about, 1.7, 1.8 points per game team into the two points a game team that goes up would be Will Grigg firing. Um, preseason has been quite encouraging in that sense, but it's obviously been a very disappointing start with Sunderland career thus far. And you still wonder whether... You know, even despite the encouraging signs in preseason, whether he can thrive in the Phil Parkinson team, that's a big question. And that's the thing for me that could potentially turn, like I say, something from a team that you're looking at going, well, I'm, I'm fairly confident we'll be there or thereabouts. It's the one you think, actually, that, that could be a real contender for the top two. It's interesting on Grig because I think if we'd have sat here four or five weeks ago and said that we'd be sat here before the, you know, on the eve of the first game of the season and Will Grigg had come out of pre-season as one of the, the major shining lights, we probably would have seriously doubted it because at that point, you know, it looked as if his, his, you know, his, maybe his days were numbered a little bit and as if, you know, there, there wasn't, not that there wasn't a way back for him, but that, you know, Charlie White was firmly that first choice striker. And now, given performances over pre-season, the goals he scored, you know, that finish against Harrogate that was that little moment that Sunderland sometimes looked like they needed last season when they weren't able to win those games. They just needed that little moment, that ball from Dan Neal, and then that sharp finish from Will Grigg. It's given people a little bit of hope, and it's hopefully given Will Grigg a little bit of belief that he can do it, and he certainly now will be in contention for a start against Hull tomorrow. Yeah, and, and, and like I say, it will be um, it will be very interesting to see whether. Um, whether Grigg gets a start, my suspicion is still, will still be that White will be first choice striker going into the season. He'll have that opportunity to make the position his own. And, you know, as we talked about, that Danny Graham interest tells you that he still sees that centre forward role, a player of that mould, the kind of traditional kind of target man, if you like. So it will be really interesting to see if Grigg gets a chance. He's done everything he can in terms of he's obviously come back in good shape and he's taken his chances in pre season. I think looking ahead, it, it, it is interesting because I do think from the games you've watched in pre-season, I do think that Dan Neal and Will Grigg deserve to start tomorrow. I think that would be fair reward for their efforts in pre-season. I also think it would send the right message generally um, that it's not about reputation or what you did six months ago. You know, the, those are the players who've, who've performed best. Obviously, we don't see training and that would be a factor as well. But from what we've seen, I think Neil and Grigg deserve to start. I mean, I'm fairly relaxed about it because you've got that game on Tuesday night. Um, against Aston Villa under 21s, and whoever doesn't get a goal tomorrow will get a goal on Tuesday. So, even if they aren't in the team tomorrow, they they still will have that opportunity to to kind of put themselves in the mix for the first real game, if you like, against Bristol Rovers. But it will be interesting to see what he does with that team tomorrow because I do think uh, I do think Neil and Grigg deserve a chance. Yeah, and Dan Neil's been 
the real kind of talking point over the last fortnight or so. Obviously, that Gateshead game, he came on, he was there to essentially watch as a spare player, wasn't he? And then very quickly, because of Elliot Embleton going down, had to run and get himself kitted out and on the pitch. And he's not really looked back from there. Obviously, he came on and he really made an impact against Carlisle and was a little bit unlucky not to score. Harrogate, he's played that ball through to Will Grigg. And I guess the big question now is we've seen him do it in those fleeting kind of 20-minute spells or so when he's been on the pitch. It's a very different thing, isn't it, doing it week in, week out in League One. But he certainly looks as if he's earned the chance to show whether he can do that. Yeah, and I don't think it's kind of over overhyped from what he's done in pre-season either. You know, managers don't build young players up if unless they deserved it. And, you know, Parkinson was clear yesterday that he's got every right to consider himself a potential starter for that whole game tomorrow. So, And that tells you a lot about training as well. And it was interesting when Parkinson was talking about Neil, when I asked him about whether he might start against Hull, Parkinson, one of the first things he said was, you know, obviously we've all seen the performances in, on the pitch in pre-season, but he also said his running stats are right up there. Um, and it doesn't matter how good you are play you are, you're not getting in a full Parkinson team if your running stats aren't up there. Um, you know, that's a, that's a fact. Um, so that was kind of a sign that, you know, this isn't just uh, us getting excited because he had one nice assist for Will Grigg. You know, he has made that sustained impact over a period of time. As you rightly say, producing it consistently is a completely different ask. And, and to be fair, Lyndon Gage and Chris McGuire, you would have to say that they were fairly consistent for a four or five month period after Christmas last year and performed very, very well. So over the course of the season, it's still going to be a right battle for him. Um, but I do think he deserves to start against Hull. I absolutely do um, in terms of the people he's competing against in his performances so far. But as I say, I am quite relaxed about it because whatever happens, he will get that chance on Tuesday night. And if he takes it again on Tuesday night and he doesn't play tomorrow, then it'll be very, very hard not to to consider him a starter for Bristol Rovers. So he's just got to keep doing what he's doing. I would, As I said, I would like to see him play against Hull. I think it would send a fantastic message. Um, but I, I do feel his time will come either way. Just looking a little bit closer at tomorrow's game, Hull obviously, we've heard Grant McCann speaking before the game, that it's going to be kind of a good litmus test for them to see where they are in the promotion race. And the same can be said for Sunderland, because Hull, for all their off-field problems, have recruited very well this summer. Richie Smallwood, Malik Wilkes, Alfie Jones today from Southampton, Louis Coyle, although he's suspended for tomorrow. They've retained some good players. George Honeyman, obviously, we know all about. Tom Eves has been prolific at this level with Gillingham. There's a very good chance they will be there or thereabouts come May, and it'll be a good test for Sunderland to see where they're at ahead of the season. Yeah, I think I think that's at the time when the draw was made. I think probably both Sunderland and Hull saw it as a bit of a perfect draw, really, um, in terms of that tune-up for the league season because you've played your lower league opposition coming into it, and then this is a really good kind of almost like final pre-season friendly. Um, so I think it will be a good game. I do think Hull will be up there, and we talked about we've talked about it a couple of times. But I'm just really impressed with the recruitment they've done. Um, I think it's always one of those where, as we've seen with Sunderland, actually a club where there's a lot of off-pitch discontent, and there isn't really that unity between fans and the owners. And Hull fans have got very good reason for that. Um, it always makes you reluctant because it tends does tend to have an impact on the pitch. Um, but looking objectively at their squad. Um, you would imagine them to be strong contenders there. You know, as it stands for me, I would probably make them just ahead of Peterborough favourites to the title. Um, because it's not just the players they've brought in. You know, Tom Eaves um, didn't you know make a huge impact for them in the championship last year, but quite rightly, 12 months ago, we were talking about Tom Eaves as, as one of the best strikers in League One. So players like that, you know, who they do just look fairly, fairly well set. I think the one caveat to that is obviously because of how bad the final few months of the season were, as I mentioned, that off-pitch discontent with the owners, also with the manager as well. It's, you know, Grant McCann did a good job at Doncaster, 
in this division, but he's still under a lot of pressure, I think, going into the season. Uh, it's a totally different thing being Doncaster manager at this level, where six is an outstanding season, and being the whole manager where, you know, especially coming into the season under pressure, I'm sure he'll be, you know, expected to be kind of top two pretty quickly. So um, it, it will be a good, it will be a good marker. It's, it's going to be a really, really interesting game. Two teams that I do think will be top six um, come the end of the season. Um, but yeah, you, you look at that whole side and there's a lot of threats there and a lot of proven League One quality. Let's push you for a score prediction, Phil. We've not had one of these in a, in a number of months now. How do you think uh, it's going to tomorrow? I, I think it'll go to penalties. There's no that extra time thought, really. in, the, in the Carabao. Um, it's hard. I can't say it being a nil-nil just because there's always errors, isn't there, early in the season. Um, so yeah, I'll go 1-1 I'll go to penalties. Uh, I think Sunderland will win on penalties. They've got quite a good quite a good batch of penalty takers or theoretically they should do anyway um, so yeah I'll, I'll go for a, I'll go for a Sunderland penalty win to be fair that sounds about right I was thinking penalties obviously with no extra time I think they'll kind of match each other out a little bit but you can follow all the action from the Stadium of Light tomorrow via SunderlandEcho.com myself and Phil will both be there with the usual live blog match updates post-match analysis and all the reaction from Phil Parkinson and the Sunderland dressing room as ever, please do like and subscribe and let us know your feedback on our Sunderland coverage via our social media pages and we'll be back again next week, hopefully after two Sunderland wins in both the Carabao Cup and the EFL Trophy and hopefully a couple more signings as well. Thank you once again for listening to The Raw.